Can you tell us more about the flattened marriage? It's full of regrets and comes rested on a bed of half-boiled excuses and unfinished to-do lists. Oh, that sounds nice. It's our anniversary. Congratulations. How many years? No idea. We can't remember. How about dessert on the house? Tonight's selection is a low-motivation pie. Well, that's our favorite. Let me get that order going for you. To years of neglect. Amen. You are here at dinner for that type of marriage. Uh, we are in the middle of and actually towards the end of a series that we started. Uh, this is the third week of the series. The series is called I Choose. Uh, we are continuing this series, discovering that while we may all battle with the little choices of life, what to wear and where to eat, we also deal with making much more important decisions every single day. And uh, there's so much more on the line when we use the words I choose. And so over the last couple of weeks, we have discovered that we can choose purpose over popularity and as well as surrender over control. Surrender over control. Now, I hope that many of us control freaks, remember last week I'm including myself in that group, uh, that this last week we backed down a little bit. Maybe we stepped back and just kind of took a breath and realized, is it worth my concern? Right? Is it worth my concern? Is it for me to control? Because if it is, we got to take responsibility and control what we're called by God to control. Or is it truly for God alone? And so as a control freak, I hope that you've adjusted your thinking, your behaviors, uh, your decision-making to put those three questions into place. Is it mine to control? Is it worth my concern? Or is it for God alone? And I hope that doing that has helped you to alleviate some of those desires to control everything. We all battle with control, but I'm telling you, there's so much more freedom in choosing who controls your life in Christ than you trying to control your life for yourself. There's so much more freedom in surrender. Uh, this morning, uh, I want to start by asking a simple question to get us thinking about this topic of I choose, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what choice we're making today. But I want to ask this question real quick. How many of you like pain? You enjoy pain. Raise your hand nice and high. Pain. I love pain. More pain. No, really. Okay. Wow. All right. That's about what I was hoping for. If you did raise your hand there, we would have a conversation after church today, uh, maybe some prayer. I would have Brother Vic lay some hands on. It'd be great. Um, none of us like pain, right? None of us enjoy painful situations. None of us look for situations that create pain in our lives. But the first thing we need to admit this morning, and it's not a hard choice to admit this because we all have been there, that life is full of pain. It's full of painful situations. Now, let me ask this question. How many of you don't like it, but you've experienced pain in your life? Raise your hand. Okay. Maybe you were hurt by someone else. Maybe a choice you made caused you to have pain in your life. Maybe you've made some decisions that now you're living in the consequence of that are causing pain emotionally or maybe even physically. A couple of weeks ago in our men's Bible study on temptation, the author said something so true and yet so profound. When he put it this way, it really makes you rethink this idea. He said this in the study. Kenny Luck said, you will experience two types of pain in your life. The pain of regret or the pain of discipline. You have to choose one. 
we will all experience one of two types of pain in our life, speaking of what we can control, what we are controlling in our lives. The pain of regret or the pain of discipline. As a person in this world and as a follower of Christ, you don't get to not make a choice there. You will be the subject of one of two outcomes. Either you will be the subject of pain of regret or you will be the subject of pain of discipline. And so you have to ask, what's the choice you're going to make? In our lives as followers of Christ, we will be faced with decisions that will make us choose between a momentary pain in resisting temptation or a pain that will come after giving in. And we call that pain regret. This morning, we will choose discipline over regrets. Let me say that again. This morning, my prayer for all of us is that we will choose discipline over regret. And we have a choice in the matter, by the way. We have a choice in the matter. You can choose today. I'm going to choose discipline over regret. Let me say it this way. I'm making the choice today, and by God's grace, I pray I'll keep making this choice, that I will not be a dad who at the end of my life says, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. I'm not going to be a dad that says, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I'm not going to be a Christian that says, I wish I would have followed when God led me. I'm not going to be a follower of Christ that says, I wish I could go back and have that opportunity to share Christ again. Man, we need to choose discipline over regrets. Nobody ever gets to the end of their life and says, man, I wish I would have slacked off more. I wish I would have done less for the Lord. Now, I, I want you to understand this. This is not a guilt you into doing something sermon. This is a reality message on you need to be active in training yourself in discipline. Not because it makes you a good Christian, but because it is the healthiest and strongest life with Christ that you can live. And that's not Pastor John's opinion. That's what the Apostle Paul is going to share with us in just a moment. We need to train ourselves. See, last week I mentioned, is it worth my concern? Is it mine to control or is it for God alone? Your walk with Christ should be your concern. It's something you should be concerned about. Your life as a follower of Christ is something you should be concerned about. Then you have to ask, well, what do I control in that? Well, you don't control salvation. He did all of that for us, praise God. Praise God, his love is fierce enough to chase you down. That when you were wandering an enemy from God, according to Romans, that he came after you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That you would turn from yourself and turn to him and receive his salvation. But once you receive that salvation, he gives you this amazing gift called the Holy Spirit who indwells us at the moment of salvation. And then he gives us this word that he wrote by his own words. And we can read this word and we can find out what are his desires for my life? What are his expectations? What does he have for me? And then the Holy Spirit takes these words and applies them to our heart. And then we can have our minds and our hearts changed we don't think like we used to think or act like we used to act or, or desire the things we used to desire. Now we desire the things of God and we see our whole life changing direction and our purposes. Do you know why Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, according to my will, I'll do it for you? Because as you're being changed into the image of Christ, you'll pray things that honor him and not yourself. James 4, God's not going to answer a prayer request that only builds up your kingdom, by the way. 
If you're praying for a million dollars so you can have a million dollars to consume it upon your lust, James says, God's not answering that. We've said for a long time, God doesn't say yes to every prayer request just because you're a Christian. And we should be ever so thankful that God doesn't say yes to every prayer request just because we're a Christian. Because we've prayed things and God's going, nope. And then we're like, oh, God, come on. And then 10 years later, five years later, six minutes later, oh, now I see why he didn't do that. Or, man, now I can see the blessing in this or that. And we got to be so careful that we don't try to take God's position, but we do need to take control of what we are supposed to control. And he says, hey, it is your body that I've bought with a price. It's mine to own, but I'm leasing it back to you. How are you using your body? Are you surrendering your members to sin or to righteousness? Are you yielding yourself to that old nature or are you walking in Christ? Are you being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit so you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh? Or are you striving after the things of this world and living in sin and thinking you can get away with it? See, those are the things that we control. And people will say, well, I, you know, I just, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to pray about that. I'm just going to pray about that. It's great to pray about it, but when you know it's God's word black and white, you got nothing to pray about. Well, you know, I know the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and that I should work hard to encourage another believer in love to lift them up, especially as we see the day approaching, the day coming to an end. Man, we need to be every day encouraging each other. What does Hebrews 3 say? As long as it's called today, encourage each other. And I know the best way to do that is to gather together with the body of Christ, whether it be Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night for recovery, Thursday night for Bible study, Tuesday morning for the ladies. They just finished up their Bible study. All those different opportunities. I know the Bible says I'm supposed to gather together, but maybe I should just pray about whether I should go to church this weekend. What in the world do we need to pray about? Do you ever pray that prayer and then you go, the whole time you're praying, you're like, I know the Lord's going to say yes to what I'm praying, but I'm really hoping somewhere between him and me it'll change to a maybe or a no. See, because we don't really like discipline. Let's be honest. When I was a kid, I didn't like discipline. Anybody like being disciplined as a child? Again, notice the lack of hands, okay? We used to get a spanking. That was back before that wasn't allowed, apparently. But we used to get spankings when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, we were not good kids. My older brother and I uh, is about two years older than me. Mike, my younger brother, he's seven years younger than me. So this is even when he was either not around yet or he was so little um, and still perfect baby, you know, form. That was until he was like 17, I think. He could do whatever he wanted. Any babies of the family? Babies? You're the youngest in the family? Okay, yep, okay, didn't like you very much, okay. <laughs> middle children, middle children, where are my middle children? Praise God, we know what it means to endure persecution, amen. <laughs> I'm not even going to ask the older kids to raise their hand because they're used to being in charge and, yep, I'm an older child, and they're not even going to give you that glory, not going to do it, okay. You've had enough control in your life, you don't get any praise here. Every day. My stepdad would come home from work. This is not, people are like, oh, come on, every day. There was a couple years there where it was literally every day he'd come home. Look at my mom. What'd they do today? And she'd go down the list of things. And he'd say, okay, let's go down to the basement. And we'd get our daily spankings. Okay? I never was like, yes. Oh, he's coming home in 15 minutes. See, I wasn't a runner, though. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. When you get a spanking, you've got a couple different kinds of kids. You've got the runner, right? You're in an enclosed space, but you're going to run from the spanking. Where are you going? And then what's your dad or mom going to do when they get a hold of you? 
if it was going to be bad before, it's going to be one of those the next day you're sitting in class going, trying to shift and find that spot. Oh, no, that's just not working. And your friends know what happened. Oh, you ran, huh? Yeah, I ran. <laughs> I was what you call, I was the pre-crier. Any pre-crier? Okay. Pre-crier is you cry before the spanking, not during or after. Okay. You get it all up. <laughs> you know, you're mumbling throughout. You promise you'll do nothing wrong the rest of your entire life. Then you get to spanking, and you're like, that wasn't that bad, actually. I'm pretty good, you know. I never looked back on those moments and I thought in that moment, oh, man, that was such an enjoyable experience. But can I tell you something? Honestly, I'm so thankful that my parents, now I'm not saying, if you're here and you're like, you don't spank your kids, that's not my job to tell you how to raise your kids, okay? I'm just merely telling you this is how I was raised, okay? Everything my parents did was not right, by the way, okay? They did a lot of things wrong. And they will admit that. Just like, you know what, as a dad and as a parent, I don't do everything right, okay? We're all learning this thing, okay? But so it's not me to tell you how to discipline your kid. My point is, because there was a form of discipline in my life, I'm ever so thankful because as I got to be a teenager and a young adult, that stayed with me. But I didn't enjoy the discipline in the moment. And listen, our Heavenly Father is no different. He's going to bring discipline and create opportunities for us to live disciplined lives. Not because it's, oh, this is so enjoyable. It may even be painful in the moment. But the goal is greater than that momentary plane of discipline. But I will promise you this. If you choose the pain of regrets, it will never be worth it. Now, can God use something, that mistake we made, and use a past regret? Absolutely he can. When we surrender it to him. When we stop fighting it and say, okay, fine, will you use this to your glory? And he will. But that's not God's design. God's design is, man, I wish you would just discipline your body. Allow me to use this life for me and watch me grow you through this. I believe that by the Spirit of God, the grace of God, and the Word of God, We are equipped with all that is required to live a disciplined, Christ-centered life. However, this doesn't mean there will not be pain. It means we understand the pain of discipline is worth it because we are thinking with an eternal focus. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. i got to hurry. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. Uh, We're going to read through verse 25. So... 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 25. It says this in the Word of God. As the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, to believers, he says this. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible So we're going to pray and ask God to speak through this. And we'll continue that passage in just a moment. But let's pray as we continue this road of understanding discipline over regret. Father, we pray that you'd open up your word to us. Thank you for your grace and guidance. I pray we would choose discipline and the momentary pain that comes with it over the lasting pain and hurt of regret. But Father, saying that, I know there are some in this room right now. Because I understand that people are people. And there are people, myself included, have made mistakes in the past, sinful mistakes that have left us with the pain of regret. But I pray that we would surrender that to you, and that pain of regret will actually become a tool in your hand to discipline us to avoid future fallings into that sin. And so, Father, I don't know how you take all things and use it for good to make us more like the image of Christ, 
but I surrender it to you because I have faith that you will do it. And so, Lord, may we take the pain of regret that we're experiencing now under conviction of your Holy Spirit, surrender it to you and find forgiveness and grace. May it not turn into a lasting guilt that we leave here with today that actually cripples us and leaves us defeated. Help us, Father, to have wisdom in all these things. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read the New Living Translation, uh, how they translated 1 Corinthians 9, 24-25, just to give us a little different take on some of the wording here. Uh, it says this, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All the men can say amen there. Run to win. I don't know any guy that enters any competition to get second place. It just doesn't happen. Okay, Every guy in this room, and a lot of the ladies too, you're competitive. Okay, I've always shared my wife is very competitive in board games. Like I won't even play certain games with her because there's no chance of winning. And then she gets that, and it comes from her, I'm not going to say where she gets it from directly, genetically. Okay? Let's just say it may have been in her family past. That's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to leave that there. I will tell you what, though. I had a chance to, to spend some time with uh, uh, Sandra's mom's side of the family, uh, the Spencer side of the family. And uh, when they get together and when they play games, y'all, they play games. Like, it gets pretty intense. And then the laughing starts, just craziness goes. But they're so competitive. All of us are understand competitive. And what is Paul saying? You're saying, listen, we don't run for second place, we want run to win. The New Living Translation goes on to say this about verse 25. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. The Apostle Paul uses an illustration that the people of Corinth would understand. One of athletics and purposeful discipline. One who runs does for second Place, but they run to win. Paul encourages the believers by reminding them that if a runner can endure the pain of training to win a temporal prize, how much more should we be willing or willingly be able to endure the pain of living for Christ or discipline in this world, considering we have already won the prize of eternal life? Let me say that again. You've already won the prize of eternal life. Amen? You've run, won that in Christ. Because he finished the race. He ran it perfectly and did all that was needed that we might obtain righteousness through Christ. And so now we're running not so much as one to obtain, but as one really who has obtained. We're running because we've already won. And we're putting everything because we know, man, I've already won. And I'm going to run this race like the one who wins. And I love the Apostle Paul's illustration here. So what does it mean to live a disciplined life? What does this look like? Well, in your notes, if you're taking notes... Encourage you to jot some things down there. And if I miss something or you miss something, I know some weeks, um, I always go by Sandra as far as how I did on the notes. Okay, if I did a good enough job giving you, like, kind of feed in where to go and what to write things down. And I looked over and she'd missed a couple. And I was like, ooh, I must have blew it this week. And so if I miss something or you miss something, if I'm not clear in what the point is, please ask me. Uh, and I would love to give that to you after service today. So discipline, how does this look in a disciplined life? Discipline means choosing what you want now and what you want most. Discipline means choosing what you want now and what you want most. First point there is when you know what you shouldn't do, or what you should do rather, when you know what you should do but don't. When you know what you should do but don't. 
The idea here is, have you ever made a decision to do something you regretted instantly? You made a decision in the now, and in deciding only on what you knew right now, and you decided right now, because it's what you want right now, you regretted it almost instantly. Rather than when you know what you want most, and your focus is on that goal, and so it changes how you live in the now. We all will be tempted to choose what is available now or what looks the easiest now. But in reality, we are putting ourselves in the cycle of regret. I love that the Apostle Paul understood this cycle as we read of his struggles with decision-making. You all familiar with it? Go over to Romans chapter 7. You want to talk about someone that was choosing the now and battling between that and what they want most? Romans chapter 7 and verse 15. Romans 7 and verse 15 says this, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Drop down to verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Go down to verse 24. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. The Apostle Paul is being so transparent here. So honest with us, and it's so amazing. You know what he's saying? I'm warring between what I want now in the flesh and what I see now and what I know I want most in Christ. And I'm battling with this all the time. And what it tells me is we need to clearly know what we want most and what we're willing to give up now. We, like Paul, can get stuck in this mindset of giving into temptation, then guilt from giving in. And knowing it's not what we wanted most, which leads to, what's that R word we've been saying? Regrets. Anger comes next because we keep doing it and can't change. Then fear because we worry we will always be stuck in this cycle. Did you catch that? You give in a temptation, you have guilt for giving in. It's not what you wanted most, so it leads you to regrets. You get angry because you keep doing it and you can't seem to change. And then there's fear because you feel like you'll always be stuck. And this is some of our lives. This has been my life at times in my past where you're just stuck in this thing of just going round and round and round and it's not what you wanted. But the only way to break the cycle is in the power of Christ and his grace, his Holy Spirit and his word to say, no, 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 no. I'm tired of settling for what I want now. I'm going to strive for what I want most. I'm going to train my body. You don't have to stay stuck in the ruts. Choose discipline. Choose what you want most over what you want now. Letter B, I want to share this with you. Simple principle, the power of delayed gratification. The power of delayed gratification. We all battle in this area. Maybe it's a spontaneous purchase because, well, it's on sale, right? I got to buy it. It's on sale. I don't need it, but it's on sale, okay? There's a reason that when you go to a grocery store, they put all that junk food and pop and chips and candy and gum right before you check out. You know why? Because you've been walking around Walmart for 45 minutes to two hours, and you're a little, I just need a little snack. Just I'm a little thirsty. 
And oh, look, it's all right here for me. You know why? Because it's a compulsion buy. You just buy it out of compulsion because it's available. Where if you walked up to the register and none of that was available, you probably wouldn't even think about it. But you see it, so you want it, so you buy it. And if you're like me, I almost, I mean, it's getting a little better. Pray for me, y'all, pray for me. It's getting better. I almost could not go to Walmart without leaving with a 20 ounce of Pepsi or Mountain Dew. I just, it's like I walked in the door and I knew, oh, I'm going to get a Pepsi before I leave today. Why? Compulsion. I just do what I do because it's what I want now. It's not really what I want most. It's just what I want now. It's what's available. And so we can think of that in a silly illustration, but how about in greater things? How about in greater temptations that nag at us and pull at us? The reality is that by resisting temptation today, it will lead to greater joy tomorrow. We all have the choice between what I want now and what I want most. We need to prioritize the decisions we make so we will not experience buyer's remorse, if you will. In your handout, there is a question. I want you to take a minute to fill out. I want to give you actually a minute to do this. And so it's going to be a little silent maybe for a moment. I know that's weird because I talk a lot on Sunday mornings. But I want you to do this. Here's the question. What do you want most? And what do you believe God wants most for you? So if you see that there in your handout, what do you want most? And what do you believe God wants most for you? Take a moment and write that, out. Write that in. Fill that in. What do you want most? And what do you believe God wants most for you? As a follower of Christ, what do you want most? Now, for some of us, that's a long list, right? Well, can I write on the back of the paper some of you are thinking? This is what I want most, and I want this and this and this and this. Let's just start with one right now. Let's just lock in on one. This is what I want most. Because sometimes we overwhelm ourselves, don't we? You know what happens when you try to do too much at once? You get burned out and you quit. So just focus on one. What do you think you want most? Do you want to be a, a godly mom, a godly dad? Would you just say, man, what I want most is, man, I just want to be the best example for Christ that I can be by his grace. That's what I want most. And then the second question, what do you believe God wants most for you? What do you believe God wants most for you? Now, if you're being honest and you're like, I have no idea. I got, I got nothing. And that's okay. That's okay if you don't know. What that tells you or what that should tell you is that, that you need to be in some serious prayer of, okay, God, what do you want most for me? See, because here's the other question I have to ask you real quick is, look at what you wrote and look at what you wrote for what God wants for you. And, and are those things the same? Or are they different? And if they're different, are they similar in, in nature or are they two different things altogether? I'll use an example. Are you focused more on, I want to be happy most, but I believe God wants me to be like Christ most? Well, those two things aren't going to always go together, by the way. So what we have to do is if we look at those two things and we say, well, this is, I wrote down something different than what I think God wants for me most, then something or someone has to change. Right? If you write down this is what you want most, and you write down this is what God wants most for you, and those two things aren't the same thing or similar things, then either you have to surrender, there's that word again, control, and say, okay, you know, I'm going to align myself with what God wants most for me, or God's going to have to change, and you're going to focus on yourself. I can promise you that will not lead to discipline. It will lead to regret. 
So what did you write down? What, is, what does God want most for you? And what do you want most for yourself? I truly believe what you write on this paper or what you're thinking about right now will directly impact the level of peace you have in the coming week. It will control what kind of pain you experience, discipline or regret. It will control and lead to specifically how you make decisions in the coming week. Are you focused on what you want most or what you want now? Now, sometimes what you want now can feed into what you want most, right? As you discipline yourself and you do that together with those of accountability. But I believe this touches every area of life. It's not just areas of our finances or how we raise our kids. It's as a follower of Christ. This is everything. This is foundational. Choosing discipline over regret. A few more thoughts, and then I want to give you guys an illustration, and then we'll wrap it up. Choosing discipline over regret. This is the second point in your handout there. This is where we move from wish I didn't to prayerful expectation. Wish I didn't to prayerful expectation. As we discipline our minds and hearts under the direction and equipping of the Holy Spirit, we will discover ourselves transitioning from beating ourselves up with regrets to prayerfully expecting and watching God move in our lives. I love how the Apostle Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 9, 26 to 27. And I'm going to read you from the NLT version again. Again, some of the wording is a little bit clearer for some of us, and so I wanted to read this together. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27, the Apostle Paul says this, So I run with purpose in every step. I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. This is how we move from, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that to, God, I can't wait to see how you're going to use this in my life. The wish I didn't phase, which, by the way, I've been in the wish you didn't camp. I mean, I've, like, worn the T-shirt, right? I've held rallies in the wish I didn't camp. I've been the spokesperson, maybe even the president for a season, okay? I've been in that camp. And it's just, it's, it's just horrible. Just carrying around that guilt and the regret and the pain of past decisions that you knew. And let's be honest, as a follower of Christ, often we know this is not what's best before we make the decision. Very, very few times as a follower of Christ have I ever sinned in a way that I actually really was surprised by the outcome. We go to like David and Bathsheba or all these other examples. Pick any person in the Bible. And you know where it started? Right up here. Where our thoughts dwell. And then all of a sudden it leads to our emotions connecting to our thoughts. And then it leads to our hands. And then it leads to regret. But you know the same process can be used for God's glory as we dwell on his word. And we're focused on his word. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're renewing our thinking. And then our hearts, our emotions connect with our feelings and thoughts. And as one, they result in actions to the glory of God. And and people see our good works and they glorify our Father which is in heaven. And it started with a thought. It started with dwelling on God's word. God, what do you want most for me? And I just see this in your word. Man, I could do that. Do you know what gets me so fired up as a pastor? This is not even an exaggeration. I get so fired up by, by a lot of things. But this is one that does the best. It doesn't take a lot to get me excited, by the way, just so you know. Ask Sandra. She's like, hey, do you want a hot dog for lunch? I'm like, woo! Hot dogs! Fired up! Okay? Doesn't take much, okay? I'm a pretty basic guy, okay? 
But when I hear Christians or believers in the church, followers of Christ saying, man, I need to do this, and I, God's leading me, I need to be involved, and I need to, I need to start doing this more, and I need to, man, God is leading me, I need to be telling my faith more and sharing my faith more, or I need to be doing this, or God has let me free from this, or God has set me free from this temptation. Man, when people are connecting with the Spirit of God and it's leading them and guiding them into new ways of living, freeing them from these bondages around us, man, that gets me fired up. And then they'll say things like, and I want to tell others about it. Man, that's awesome. See, that's what it means to discipline ourselves for the greater good, the greater purpose of why we're here. The Apostle Paul says, man, I run with purpose in every step. So letter B in your hand out there under number two, I run with purpose in every step. The truth is, we need Jesus every step. Every step you take, I need Jesus now, and I need Jesus now, and I need him now. We will never get to the point as a follower of Christ where we need Jesus less. If anything, the closer we get to Christ, we will realize how much more we need him. As you look around you and as you see the world around you, it should push you to realize, I need Jesus more today than I ever have. Because life is hard and things happen. And we need to realize, man, I need Jesus more today than I did yesterday. And you'll need him more tomorrow. And it's not that you're getting more of him. It's that you're depending more on him. You're surrendering more to him. The truth is, I'm a very undisciplined person naturally. I'm very undisciplined. If it was up to me, I'd get up every morning at 10, 1030. I'd go make some coffee have a big old bowl of Frosted Flakes with tons of sugar on my Frosted Flakes. You're thinking, that's disgusting. I'm telling you right now, it's what I would do. I'd lounge around all day. I would never change out of sweatpants. Because let's be real, sweatpants, that's where it's at. I mean, if we're being honest, some of the ladies in here, the yoga pants, you know, around the house, you're like, that's, I would live in those things if I could. Not me, but you're saying that. You don't want to see me in yoga pants. It's really not anything you want to eat. Don't even envision that right now. Some of you are already thinking like, I don't think that would look very good, okay? I'm a very undisciplined person. It's just in my nature, and I don't like it about myself. I will always, listen to me now, I will always naturally take the course of least resistance. And I don't know, but that's just how I've always been. If I have to look at two plans, when I was in high school, they presented me with two math classes. I needed one math credit. They said, you can take this math class, which is a little harder, or this math class, which actually is a culmination of all the math you've already taken. It's a little bit easier. Duh. I'll take this one over here. I barely got to be awake in this class. I'll take that one. Yeah, this one's a little challenging. Well, we don't need that, right? I'm going to Bible college, not math college. Come on. Let's, who needs that stuff, Okay. And I look back on those moments and I think, man, I wish I would have pushed myself. I wish I would have done a little bit more to be more disciplined. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you naturally fight this desire to not be disciplined. And maybe it's not in your career. Maybe it's not in your health and wellness. Maybe it's not in your academics if you're in school right now or you're studying in high school or whatever. Maybe it's in your spiritual life. Because isn't it amazing? We understand discipline in all the other realms, don't we? I think we all understand discipline in our bodies and health and wellness. We may not do it, but we understand it, right? We all understand when you're in school, you got to be disciplined to get good grades, to go to college, to get a good degree. You understand if you don't work hard and do what you got to do and show up on time, you're probably going to get fired. 
We understand those things. But why is it spiritually we think we can be as lazy as possible and throw the grace card on the table and go, well, God saves by grace. I don't have to do anything. We've grown so lazy in our spiritual walks. And we understand it in every other area that discipline is key. But we think somehow with God, it's so different. The Apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. It's, in fact, it's the exact same thing. If you discipline yourself here, you've got to be disciplined over here. I don't know about you, but I struggle. And that undisciplined nature doesn't just affect my times I get up in the morning or my diet or what I eat. It affects my spiritual life too. And I will be undisciplined in my study of God's word. You might think, are you kidding me? You're a pastor. I'm human, and I'm just being transparent with you. We all can be undisciplined at times. But the problem is because we're not focused on what we want most. We're focused on the right here and now. See, we all need Jesus every day. And this is how we train our bodies to do what it should and not what it shouldn't. You want to know how to train your body to do what it should and not fall into the Romans 7 camp? It's by focusing on what you want most, what God wants most for you, and running with purpose in every step. You say, man, I'm going to trust Jesus in this. I'm going to study his word. I'm going to give myself to him. I'm going to surrender control. The word subjection in the King James or discipline in the NLT in verse 27 in the Greek literally means, and I love this, deliver a knockout blow. That's why it's amazing to understand the basis of these languages, to deliver a knockout blow. The Apostle Paul says, I'm going to discipline my body. I'm going to knock my body out. I'm going to take control of my body, is what he's saying, by the power of Christ in me. I am living in Christ, and it's no longer me living, but what? Christ in me. This life that I now live in the flesh, I live for his glory, for his honor. It's about him, not even me. So I'm going to knock out my flesh, and I'm going to take control and run with purpose in every step. I love what Warren Worsby said about this purposeful running and training, this idea of discipline. He says this, discipline means giving up the good and even the better for the best. And I love that. Discipline means giving up the good and even the better for the best. Sometimes it's the good thing or the easy thing that we give up now to experience the best we desire tomorrow. If you want what you want most, you're going to strive for it. If what you want most is a healthy marriage, then you may put off something good that you want now and compromise because you realize it will lead to what you want most. You want a healthy marriage? Then maybe you'll let that little thing go. Stop nitpicking the other person. Let it go and enjoy what you want most which is a healthy marriage tomorrow. If what you want most is a closer walk with Christ, then right now you'll put in the work, getting in his word, spending time in prayer, growing in the knowledge of Christ. Peter says we should always grow in the knowledge of Christ and the grace that he's given us. If what you want most is this, then you can't just say, well, that's what I want most, and you treat it like a New Year's resolution. I won't ask you to raise your hand how many of us are doing okay on that. I hope you are. Some of you maybe didn't even have one and you've done great things since then, just setting goals since then. Amen. Keep going. What you want most is going to take work now. It's going to take putting off even the good things for what you want most. One author said it this way, if it interferes with your highest goals, then they are hindrances, not helps. 
And can I be honest for a second? My opinion, based on the word of God, is that a follower of Christ, we can have a lot of what we want most. You can have a lot of goals that are great and good and fine. But as a follower of Christ, there's a biblical most. Let me say that again. Culture has convinced us that it's your conviction or my conviction. But there's one thing that the Bible seems to say that as a follower of Christ, it's all of our most. And it is to be a follower of Christ. Some of you may think, that doesn't make sense. You just said, as a follower of Christ, I need to be a follower of Christ. Listen to what I'm saying. As a follower of Christ, he is my everything. So if that means sharing my faith, I share my faith. If that means serving in the church, I serve in the church. If that means making disciples, I make disciples. We go, well, my most is to have a healthy marriage. And we make that number one and we put follower of Christ down here. Can I promise you something? As a follower of Christ, you'll never have a healthy marriage unless Christ is first. You'll never be a great employee or an employer without Christ first. You'll never be a great dad, a great mom, a great grandma, a great whatever without Christ as a follower of Christ. I will promise you that. You might have momentary success in the world's eyes. But if we're defining greatness by how God defines it, we need Jesus. Well, that seems pretty bold. I can do a lot of things on my own. Really, John 15 seems to suggest in Jesus' words, if you're not abiding in me, you can do nothing. That's Jesus' words. And so listen, as a follower of Christ, we can have a lot of goals for ourselves and our families and all our careers. That's great and good. But your greatest goal as a follower of Christ, according to his word, needs to be, I'm going to consistently and continually be a follower of Christ first and foremost in everything. And he decides the rest. He leads me and guides me. I want to give you one more analogy. And this is something that I heard from an author that was sharing that they got it from a Christian psychologist. And the illustration is that of a front yard as your goal. So here's the illustration. I'll try to be quick. We're running out of time. <clears throat> Some of you have this goal of a, of a beautiful front yard. That's, your, that's what you want most, okay, for the analogy. Some of you are like, I could care less what my lawn looks like. Some of you have things where you had to mow it certain ways and then mow it this way and then mow it this way and then you rake it up and then you mow it again. It's like a golf course where you live, okay? Don't come to my backyard, okay, because you will be heartbroken and weeping, okay? My backyard, you walk through it, you're like, okay, you're all over the place. Watch my boys run and they're like this kind of stuff, okay? But you want this beautiful front yard. And you walk out your door and you know, you've already predetermined, this is what I want. I want a beautiful front yard. But the mailbox is over there on the other side of the lawn at the road. And so now you have a choice to make. I can either say, I want a beautiful front yard. So I will walk over here to the driveway, walk down the driveway, walk back to the mailbox, a couple more steps, get the mail, come back around. I'll go the long way. Why am I doing that? Because I don't want to walk across the lawn, which I want to be beautiful, pristine. That's what I want most. So I will discipline myself to go over here because that's what I want most. You may start out that way. But you walk out your front door and all of a sudden you realize, man, this is taking a lot of efforts. What's the easiest way to get to the mailbox? You just go in a straight line. And here's what we do. We say things like this. Well, I'll just take this shortcut I'll just do it today. I'll just walk across the lawn. I mean, what's the big deal? And here's the kicker. Guess what? You walk to the mailbox, walk back, you look at your lawn. Any problems? It'll look exactly the same as it did because you've only done it 
But you walk out the next day and you stop at the lawn and you go, well, nothing happened yesterday. It still looks pretty good. I took the easier way and it's still getting the same result. So we go across the lawn again and again and again and again. And all of a sudden, our beautiful goal is completely destroyed because now there's this rut of dirt in the middle. Why? Because you've walked it so many times, you've worn the very thing away that you were striving to obtain. And I'm telling you, as silly an illustration as that is, it's one of the best I've heard to describe. What we need to choose is the discipline path to achieve what we want most. But if what you want most is only what you want most, then it really doesn't make much difference in eternity. But if what you want most is what he wants most for you, man, then the beauty of that is amplified ten times over. And now it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an internal goal. And you know what's crazy is just as easy as it is to make this discipline common and the easy route than normal, it's just that easy to make this one the habit. But you just got to keep working at it. Some of you say, man, I try to read the word of God. I get a couple days in and I just quit because I'm, I'm not disciplined enough. Now, I'm promising you, if you will make it your most to grow in Christ and you will wake up in the morning, and, or by the way, maybe before you go to bed. Some people are like, I've got to read the Bible in the morning. That's what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say you have to read it in the morning. The Bible says you should be spending time with God all day long. We're going to be honest. I encourage this. If you're not a morning person, then when you wake up in the morning, just spend a few moments in prayer with him and just a stillness before your feet even hit the floor and just say, God, would you just speak to me today? Maybe reading for you and studying for you isn't a morning thing. Be okay with that. But then when you go, before you go to bed, you spend some time with him. If you're more of a night person like me and you, you do more stuff at night or you're more up at night rather, maybe you stay up a little later, you're just not a morning person. Maybe you're a morning person and you're up at 4.35 in the morning, times that I don't even know exist. Let's just be real. I've heard of them. I've not really experienced them personally. I just heard they're out there somewhere. Okay? To me, anything before 7.45 is, that's too early. Come on now. Killing me now. I had to get up at 7 one time and I was, this is insane. How do you function doing this craziness? Okay? But seriously, some of you, it's just finding, okay, God, I want to spend time with you today. Make it a discipline. But it's going to take pain because guess what? When you're spending time with him, you're not doing something else. So maybe it means getting up a little earlier. Maybe it means putting something off, turning the TV off, turning the computer off, turning the news off. Let me just help you. That's a good thing to do in general, okay? Let's just be real here. Some of you, getting off the computer is a good thing. Getting off your tablets, your devices, whatever. Or maybe using that very thing to discipline yourself. Okay, when I go to my tablet, I'm used to opening my Bible. Because that's what I'm normally doing on this thing. So, boom, go to my Bible app. And it becomes a discipline or a habit. And again, don't we see this in every area of life? Those of you that are striving for health and wellness and want these things. By the way, I hope your goal in that is for, to honor Christ in your temple. Not to get a self-image that you think the world should put on you. And listen, our society shames people constantly for the way they look. And if you're, if you're made a goal of health and wellness, then do it because you believe God has led you there, not because you want to meet some other idea of what people think your image should be. Don't make it that shallow. Your body is the temple of God, and he has so much more for you than what the world thinks. Because the image changes, don't it? And we focus on him. We discipline ourselves. And we get that. We get that in every other area, but I don't know why we struggle in spiritually. And do you want 
now what you want most. And if what you want most is that beautiful front yard, are you willing to put in the work to do the long way around? It's tough. It's going to take work and effort, but it's worth it. In your hand out there, real quick, you've got a couple more, one more question to answer, and I want you to do this during the time of invitation. One more application question, and I believe it's where the rubber meets the road. We can talk all day about what you want most and all of that, but the question is, what do you need to choose now to achieve what you want most? It's getting real with ourselves and stop thinking about what we want most, but actually doing something to see it happen in our life by God's grace. If you do not choose to do what's needed for what you want most, it may very well be your biggest regret. Are you willing to walk around the long way, put the work in, and realize that God can bring healing and direction, that it's worth it, that it may be painful, but choose your pain. Choose your pain, pain of regret, or pain of discipline? Which one would you choose today? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are, and we're going to pray. And uh, in just a moment, the band's going to come, and I guess they're going to come and, and just share a song of invitation with us. And I want you to do this. I'm not going to pray for long, but I want you to bow where you are and just decide right now today, what pain am I going to choose? Am I choosing the pain of regret, or am I choosing the pain of discipline? Am I willing to... to to do something today, to make a choice today in the now to achieve by God's grace what I want most and is what you want most what God wants most for you. Will you make that decision today to commit that I will do whatever is necessary to see God glorified in my life, that I will discipline my body, that it would do what it should that I would knock out my flesh. That I would realize that my life is in Christ. And as I abide in him and I walk with him, he will use my life, my decisions, my thoughts, my actions, my words to glorify him. To see others be set free. For those of you that have begun a road of discipline in your spiritual life, you've been disciplined. And maybe you've started to believe the lie that is it really worth it? Is it really worth getting up early to read the Bible? I mean, is it really making a difference? I promise you that if what you want most is to be a follower of Christ, to follow him closely and intimately, to know him well, it is worth it. So keep making the choice for discipline and watch him use you in a mighty way. Father, I pray that you would lead, guide, and direct. Give us wisdom in all these things. We give our lives to you. And we ask for wisdom to control the things that we need to control for your glory and for your honor. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? However God is leading, would you just respond? Whether you're going to come and pray, take a knee and just say, God, I'm going to choose discipline. Help me to be disciplined in this area, whatever area it might be. This is what I want most. This is what you want most. Now help me do what's necessary to achieve that by your grace. Don't just think about it. Put action to it and watch God use your life in a tremendous, tremendous way. If you don't know Christ, you can know him this morning. You need to receive Christ and be saved today by believing in him and the forgiveness of sins. Would you respond this morning as we sing together?